Welcome to another edition of Cloud Unfiltered. I'm your host, Michael Chenitz, and today we have Alex Jones of Canonical, and he has done some really cool things around Kubernetes using GPT. And so I invited him on our show to kind of just let, let's let's start to talk about, let's have that conversation sure. about GPT and, and particularly about what you're doing with, uh, you know, Kubernetes and, and GPT, because I think it's a really, uh, you know, kind of cool way of, of using it. Thank you so much. Well, it's a pleasure to be able to be here to speak about it. So effectively what I have is a project called KHGPT. It's open source, all on GitHub, and we have around 20 contributors. And we've been around three weeks or so. And what it does is it has a set of analyzers that can scan your cluster for bad pods, missing services. But the AI part is just taking the message and making it simpler, right? So we don't use AI intrusively to just say, hey, look at everything. The AI is using being used very, very uh, discreetly just to make error messages a bit easier to read. And it's taken off. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so if you've ever looked at a Kubernetes error message, it's not always the most uh, <laughs> yeah. insightful piece of language that can really tip you t tip mm -hmm. you off on what to do you know Absolutely. it's got to you got to have to do a little bit of digging typical thing is is you you take that message you throw it in google mm -hmm. and you figure out like okay well what does this really mean yeah so but you know one of the the counters to that is that because the messages are very similar like crash loop back off right yeah. that's always the same yeah. so when you're training a uh, llm right like uh, davinci or ChatGPT 3.5 they come up time and time again so it's actually quite easy to train a model that has kind of answers to that oh yeah i've seen this thing before right yep. so that kind of was really serendipitous when i put the product together it's like oh this is actually giving me some intelligent solutions <laughs> <laughs> and, and you know it's funny because we're i don't know i was just talking to arun gupta right before you mm -hmm. and he's you know we're, we're like three months in for really into this yeah. gpt phase of like like this explosion of of gpt so we've just scratched we're scratching the surface right now right. of what we can do and it really you know what what we can do is going to be amazing you know uh, you, you know it's it's the tool it's not it's it's one tool that we have to use yeah. that we have in our kind of our tool belt but it's it's a pretty amazing thing if you use it the right way yeah and i i think you know just having a glimpse of the future what does this hold we have at the moment sort of an integrated API, but what about if you eventually have your own models, right? So imagine having a deployment in Kubernetes and I load a model in and that model defines the behavior of the AI for that uh, that deployment, right? So I could have my SRE model or my like my SecOps persona model and the model knows how to read the errors and it would act accordingly, just like if I was a real SRE or, or a DevOps persona. And that could be kind of fun, especially if you're a, a student learning and you want something to keep your clusters running overnight and it could be all the way up to a business where you're building that business domain logic. So just like you said, I think we're only scratching the surface. Yeah, you know, it's to me, you know, I've been around in the Kubernetes ecosystem probably just like you for, for a very long time. And, you know, there's there's a lot of things that, that I think can be improved. And and one of the things is, is I would love to get rid of YAML files. Mm -hmm. I just, I don't see a purpose for it. And I feel like software should automatically be able to say, hey, I'm, I'm coming online, just inject me back in. You know, so I feel like there could be some kind of, future where where maybe there's a gpt based approach for doing that and I, i've already seen starts of that where where there's you know tools to create your yaml for right. that but you know i i feel like there's so much that we're going to be able to do in, in even the next few months absolutely <laughs> and you know to, to your point there are some cool projects like 
control AI that generates like, hey, I want a deployment that does this. And those are great starts. I mean, they're yeah. not exhaustive. They can't build everything you want, but yeah. they're good, especially as I come back to that idea of a student or a persona getting into this, right? Yeah. It's It helps avoid the confusion. You're like, okay, I understand these things a bit better now. But for companies that want something more exhaustive or just want to re-inject, as you say, a microservice, you could almost cut out the middleman yeah. and get the AI through the operator to talk to the Kate's API directly. So I think we're only just starting to see an emergence in a new trend. And that's kind of interesting because I work on the tag app delivery for CNCF and we write, wrote recently a white paper on what operators do. I think we've got to throw that out because I, I fundamentally think the operators and everything around them is going to change, right, with LLMs. We haven't even seen the beginning of that yet. Yeah, so I mean, what, what do you what do you anticipate when you when you see something like that? I mean, what are I, obviously it's it's way far out, and, and we we can only assume what what we can do at this mm -hmm. point. But but what are some of the some of the you know aspects of that that you think will change? Well, I think that currently an operator, many think many people think of it as like oh, it's a Helm chart or something that installs, and it's like an installer. Yeah, I think that really operators are more behavioral based, sure. and with LLMs we can really get there, right? Because so far it's been it's like a reconciliation loop. And there's an intent, oh yeah, I'll match that to your intent. Yeah. An operator could, with a with an LLM in it, so with a domain-specific LLM, could actually make intelligent decisions saying, okay, I've seen that your pod state has changed, but you also told me this other stuff happened before. I might just try this. So almost like experimentally, progressively yeah. improving the cluster. And with open source projects like Kubeflow, in the ecosystem as well. You've got then the training session, right? So you can then train it as it's starting to learn how to improve deployments. Yeah. And then the nice thing is, unlike a human, at the end of the day, might be frazzled and go say, gee, I, I don't know how I did all that. You can take that model, copy it, and put it in another cluster and have the same success. Yeah, yeah. And that, you know, that, that brings into, um, you know, into my thought process is, is though, do you have to define some kind of guardrails? You know, because obviously it can do a lot. It's, it, you know, it's 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 learning how to do things. Does it always do the things that you want it to do, or did you feed it the right data at that point to create the model, or mm -hmm. you know? So so how do you kind of create that kind of guardrail so that so that you know and you get like repeatable different. Uh, that's a really good question. And just to set some context here, you know, yeah. we're looking at building models with Llama, which was the open sourced, uh, one of the most uh, popular sort of models that's been open sourced uh, by Meta. And then there's also ChatGPT or GPT for all, I believe it's called. Yeah. So two of those models, and they come with a pretty good broad sort of set of domain knowledge, everything from cooking all the way to like traffic and directions. Now the problem you can see there is they're pretty broad. Yeah. So to really make subject uh, and domain specific models, we need to kind of narrow them down, but we gotta be careful about what we put into them. Yeah. So when I've got a stateful set that's having problems, I don't put the logs into it. I don't put the, the, the PII sensitive data in. I put things like the status code, the context of the cluster. And I think that when we train it that way, we're building stuff that's not going to go and spew out in somebody else's cluster. Oh, it could be to do with this person's email address that I saw once one yeah. time, right? <laughs> and try to be super helpful, but end up just spreading data. Because I think that's the danger we're all we're all living in with AI just being given all information, right? Yeah. And I think the real problem with you just go with the chat GPT of just post it up to some proprietary APIs, it never forgets, right? <laughs> What about, I mean, so, so one of the serious concerns, I mean, you, you hear about online all the time now is, is well, what about security? Mm -hmm. What about, you know, you're, you're injecting APIs and, and public data and all this other kind of stuff. And, mm -hmm. and obviously you can create your own models and do things like that. But, you know, what, what are some of the security concerns about using this technology? So I think just to um, extrapolate on the previous point a bit more, 
yeah. anything you're sending up there is being used to train that model in the future. And I think we've seen some some large companies have some fairly public embarrassments at what their developers were doing by pasting things into these models. Yeah. Imagine doing that with something like HGBT if we weren't clever, right? If we didn't be very um, intentional about the data we send and just send all the log data, you know, you could you could end up sending secrets, right? Yeah. You could send GitHub tokens that would live in that until somebody then said, hey, this isn't okay and revoked it. Yeah. But then from a, a far more... Um, close at home problem would be that if you're sending up wholesale data like that you also just don't know kind of the quality of that data and the actual model itself starts guessing right because remember it's only going to be as intelligent as it knows how to uh, resolve things right because it's trained off data sets so I, I think you know looking at Kate's GPT for example when we wrote things like the pod analyzer HPA analyzers as I say it's very very intentional blocks of code that we prompt in a very very um sort of selective way rather than broadly saying oh give me all the possibilities right and i think when you ask open-ended questions to gpt models that's when they really can potentially go awry right and it's like spews data like i don't understand any of this so yeah, yeah and, and and you know just just to, to, to finish that out i think you're absolutely right security is first and foremost a problem like so one of the things i'm trying to do is we, we use tokenization so we anonymize everything and i know it's not exhaustive but at least if i'm not saying oh my big bank slash pod you know <laughs> to be really obvious where it's come from then we're making those efforts to really improve upon that and i think also the proprietary apis and the models themselves need to have that security baked in and and, and not be exposed to pii in the first place yeah i mean and and go, going a little bit bigger i mean how do you think companies are going to feel about well not feel about but how, how are they going to handle this 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 you know onslaught of gpt based tools you mm. know what what decisions do you think companies are going to have to make based on you know this new world that we're living in I think there's, there's, there's two outcomes and one precedes the other. The first is that there's going to be a very um, slow and I think very, um, you know, progressively and somewhat um, interested approach into sort of scientifically checking these things out, seeing if they have legs, seeing if it's just a fad, right? Um, there's popular tools for your IDE now, which are kind of being used, but we still don't really think about the legal ramifications a lot of that. And I think that caution is really well justified because you don't want to be taken to court later on for using some code that was under a different license. So I do think that we'll see models and AI make their way into probably the productivity side of engineering. And it will probably be done in a very cautious way. For example, almost like configuration scanning, similar to actually KHGPT. So it's a very narrow band what we're letting it do. And, and because it's open source as well, they can scrutinize and say, okay, we feel okay with this as long as it's with one of our models, right? And I think that's the second thing is we're going to see the second generation of AI come out soon, which are models training models, yeah. believe it or not. So models that actually look at the other models and say, right, well, this actually has been trained off of parameters that are, are extremely sensitive. And so I think it's going to be a combination of this very cautious approach, plus also using AI to exhaustively scan the models we're using that's going to be the future, which, which sounds kind of far out, right? <laughs> like I can't, can't believe crazy. I'm saying it, you know? It's crazy. It's almost like saying, you know, chat GPT-4, give me GPT-5. Right, but, <laughs> but that's kind of the... Um, the acceleration we're on now, it's, it's almost factorial, right? Yeah. We're going so quickly. I mean, look at the project, the little project I started just to make things your life easier. Within three or four weeks, it's almost like 2,000 stars. So that's crazy. I, I think that in all seriousness, um, developer lifecycle and productivity and Kubernetes itself won't look at all similar to what it does now in three years' time. Yeah, and, and you know, I've, I already have conversations with, like, you know, other developers and things like that that, um, you know, we're gonna, we want to use it for our test-based development. We want to use it, you know, to generate tests for all of our stuff because that that's a use case that makes sense. You know, right. it's like okay, you know, nobody wants to write tests, mm -hmm. 
but but you have to because you want to maybe you want to write good code. If this can take that off your plate, mm -hmm. that's that's awesome, you know. Yeah, and I think that there's also something that we should think about there is that the AI and and LLMs they're not like Star Trek AI. They're yeah, not kind of like Skynet yeah, in a sense. Of course. There's no original thought, right? Yeah. It's all things that seen before. So that's the worry I'd have with tests is that you can repeat things, but it cannot do. Uh, new novel thought of oh I know a new way to test this right you don't get that yet yeah. I'm not saying we never will but it does mean that if you're just copy pasting it and you might miss test cases so again this could be the dark side of it is that sure. we see lazy developers end up having <laughs> loads of gaps in their tests but they're like hey my coverage is great but I'm asserting the same thing in every test file right yeah yeah no that totally makes sense it's almost like you would have to crowdsource the tests over multiple to, you know to get that test to be refined more and more and mm -hmm. it would have to be like you know, what are the languages? What are the, you know, what are the use cases? What right. are the, you know, so there's so many things that have to go into that. And you've hit on a really interesting sort of thought process is that we're, we have a sort of a cardinality one-to-one, -one, right? There's a model in the back end and an API. What if we get to a point where we start aggregating models so yeah. across LLMs to cross-verify and cross-check? Yep. So, you, you you know, you see these, these large companies now all are racing to have their own API for LLMs. What if you took a couple of those APIs, you aggregate them and actually say, hey, well, what does this model think like DaVinci? What does this, what does Bard think, right? And actually start to look at almost like asking people in a room, right? Crowdsourcing from the AI yeah. what its responses are. Yeah, so it's almost like attestation of yeah, like you know right. all that all that kind of stuff. And so, and so and you know it's almost like you can bring that into multiple worlds. You know, obviously another big thing is supply chain security right now. Absolutely. If you start to put like AI with supply chain, yeah, you know you can start to figure out some more of that. Like like you know we, we were talking with other people that you know we're looking at to attest that you get the same results and in, in multiple people are getting the same results in yeah. order to to verify supply chain all that kind of stuff. You know, so so I I kind of you know it's weird where all this stuff is going to go to. You Absolutely. know, all, it's going to go to every single aspect. Yeah, and supply chain security is actually a really good example because it's uh, deterministic, right? Yeah. So S bombs have a determined uh, outcome, and I think AI would actually prove itself to be really good there. Yeah. Because uh, as you say, like you can start to attest that really easily and simply, but also because supply chain security is actually kind of a, a large set of dependencies, like thousands of dependencies. Yes. S bombs are complex and removing human operation in that particular area, I think would only improve things, right? So, so I should expect this as your next project, right? Yeah, right, yeah, it's, gonna, it's, gonna be, it's gonna be supply chain GPT, yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I need some originality there, right? <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, and, and just, just sort of, you know, to lend a thought to that, I think with the cage GPT, I was being a little bit tongue in cheek with that project, right? Riding yeah. a little bit on the marketing buzz of GPT, but yep. yeah. in the in the long view, I think there'll be a whole slew of tooling, right, around CLI-based GPT tools, maybe even Bash, right? Could you imagine that? You yeah. go into your CLI and suddenly it's like, hey, did you mean to type LS? Why didn't you do it this way? It could be kind of annoying, couldn't it? You got the yep. AI trying to fight you for control. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and you know, and some of the some of the CLI tools now. You know, the, I use one that I forget which one it is, but it, but it, it actually does a lot of that stuff. It doesn't right. do it through AI yet, but it does like, you know, I don't have to write half the stuff yeah. I used to have to write. You know, it, it'll say, didn't you mean to write this or yeah. didn't you read? Which is, which is uh, kind of a terrifying, but very freeing thing as well, right? I think somebody was talking to me about Rust programming language being kind of low level system language and saying, yeah. why do you use like high level language? And I said, well, sometimes we need to remember the, the principles of where this stuff comes from. Because if we yeah. go too high order, then we can end up having gaps in our knowledge. And I think that might start to come become the case and I really hope at, at universities as AI becomes more and more prevalent we don't lean too heavily on it because yeah. I think those principles still apply you know well so I, I was yeah I was talking to someone else just recently about you know when I was in high school they taught basic and Pascal right and and you know so so you know I learned that and then I learned about C and then I learned about like you know 
interrupts and all these other mm -hmm. kinds of things, mm -hmm. these things that you learn about because you're learning about the low-level knowledge right. of, of the operating system and, and things like that. I feel like we've gotten so far abstracted, and we're just abstracting the, the abstractions now. YAML files, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, and those principles, you know, they haven't gone away. And if we bury them lower and lower, I think, yeah. it, it, as you say, like, it's going to sort of uh, be to our detriment. I mean, it may be the case in the future that the AI... I mean, I suspect you'll have domain-specific languages that the AI writes, right? Sure. Imagine an implementation of Rust for your company because it's optimized the way it compiles. Yeah. You know, it's not too far out. Yeah. That's, a, that's an interesting thought. I haven't even thought about that. But, yeah, I mean, that totally makes sense. You know, it's already generating code. It's already doing all these things. Yeah. You could ask it to make a subset of this that's optimized for whatever. Yeah, and, and, and I think, you know, to, to, to lend a, to a thought to something we were, we were sharing earlier on, like around KGBT, so long-term roadmap, you know, we, we were just chatting about this. And I was saying, you know, I, I would suspect that an in-cluster operator could be kind of a, is a next step. But then after that, what do you do? Do you start getting that operator to actively change things in the cluster? What happens if you train the LLM in such a way that you wake up one day, it's a deployment, the next day it's changed it to a daemon set because <laughs> it's decided that your that your container is better optimized for this particular, and you're like, okay, <laughs> I'll leave you to it. I mean, that's that's really the, the, the like, the what you're going to attain to, you know, because, because you really want things to be stable, but you want them to optimize mm -hmm. too. So, you know, that would be like the holy grail of everything that you're, you're yeah. trying, to, trying to do there. And this comes back to the, um, the operator white paper that I wrote for the CNCF with some colleagues. And we were trying to sort of just, just scope out what an operator is a couple of years back. And as I, as I say, like, it's kind of out of date because operators are becoming closer and closer and AI is becoming closer and closer to really synthesizing human behavior. So I think that the, the future definition for these sort of in-cluster operators is going to be how closely could it mirror somebody at your company doing the same role? And that's a scary thought. Wow. That is really interesting. Yeah, I mean, yeah, to me, uh, you know, op the operators were always, you know, these event-based mm -hmm. type of things that, that, that really, you know, I, I think of the way that I use it is, is I use more abstractions. I'll use something like cross-plane or something yeah. like that, that that's, that's on top of it and write something on top of that. But, you know, it's, it's really enabling you to expand the API of, of what, you know, what Kubernetes can do. Absolutely. And just, just with regards to, to cross-plane, you know, I think already we, there are projects that are generating cross-plane configuration. If you think in an abstraction layer higher, then you yeah. just say to AI, I want to run my business on this cloud, yeah. and I generally need these microservices. And that, that's going to be kind of the prompt, and yes. then it's going to go off and generate that. So, yeah, I think that as we're building these layers up, you know, with, with sort of a nod to what I was saying earlier around understanding that layer, it is going to be a harder job for us to decode what the AI has been doing at these various levels. Which is interesting too, because then how do you know, like, if if you're if you're going back and you have to verify your code or you have right. to an auditor has to look at it and they, they try and figure this out, you know, yeah. it's like, well, what's going on here? Well, I don't know. AI generated it for me. <laughs> With what you were saying about like a, a tool in our tool belt, right? You, yeah, yeah. The, future, the engineers of tomorrow are going to have different AI models as their tools, right? One will be a model that does attestation. One will be a model that's creation, right? So your 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 coding environment in the future will be have a bunch of little plugins, I imagine, that will <laughs> say, okay, I'm the one that does this and this, and then it's going be almost like the human uh, view on this is going to be to just check that everything makes sense logistically, almost like a tick, an auditor perspective, right? Yeah. Which, for better or worse, I don't know if that's going to improve our lives, but it's certainly going to, you know, hopefully keep us in the jobs yeah, because yeah. that's the other thing that people are sort of, I think, fretting about is like, well, is AI going to potentially replace me? Well, I think that any new technology, there's always that fear. You know, right. every technology that's ever come out, I mean, obviously AI's come closer to, because it's actually thinking, well, not really thinking, but it's actually doing more calculations right. about, you know, what 
what it can or can't do and you could set it to do a job yeah but you could you could almost say that okay when robots came out that was the robots were going to take over when yeah you know so there's 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 always been times that that things have come out that that you've thought would take your job yeah and you know i i I still truly believe we are, you know, three to five generations at least from approaching novel human thought in the sense of generating a new idea. We're just not seeing that yet with these LLMs because for all intents and purposes, they are machine learning models that have been trained to a, to a set of parameters. Sure. And, you know, I think that we have some really interesting things like Bloomberg GPT, which is coming out to do more of the financial side of things, but they are still based on lots of statistical inputs. And so Whilst people might be worried, I think that we're pretty safe because human beings are incredibly good at creating and problem solving. And, I, you know, we'll find a way. We're to also make good sure that, at creating problems. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, this could be the next big one. Right. I come back to Skynet. But I, I think in all seriousness, it is going to be very, uh, very useful uh, as an innovation. It's going to be a very exciting for, as an education tool. And it's going to be very, very compelling as an operational tool in all those different disciplines. Yeah, no, that, that, that really makes sense. I mean, I, I'm, I'm so excited for, for what the future holds with all of this, because honestly, I, I embrace technology. And I right. think, that, you know, you do too. And I think most people probably that go to these conferences do, because we're on the cutting edge mm -hmm. of, of really what tech is. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think there's definitely a lot of fear. There's definitely a lot of, um, you know, misunderstanding of what it really does, you know. And, and I think that, you know, there probably needs to be a little bit better education in mm -hmm. that area you know, to, in order for people to really start to trust it more. I think so as well. And I think as AI, a bit like Kubernetes, moves out of the purview of experts, right? You need, really need to know the low-level gubbins to make it work. Yeah, yeah. And more into a commoditized tool with better DX, you know, better developer experience, more people are going to have access to it, right? Yeah. So school children will have more access to using and working with AI to solve their homework yeah. in, in, a, in a constructive way, right? Yeah. Um, and they'll use it for, you know, experimenting in a virtual environment. Engineers will be able to use AI to sort of help them to understand complex microservice behaviors. So I think that, you know, the fear aside that it's it's a whole new way of working is what we're developing here and i, I like to I, I like to think about the future being star trek not sort of terminator Scott, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know skynet right <laughs> that's that's a good perspective i like that you know you know definitely maybe it's buck rogers maybe it's yeah between. right 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 <laughs> with the with the little yeah the, the robots yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly exactly that's funny so um what what else are you what else are you do, like this is what you do for your, you know, obviously you're, you're, you've created this project, you're passionate about it, but what do you actually do at, at Canonical? So I'm the Kubernetes director at Canonical. <laughs> so I, I work on microcates and okay. charmed cates, which are two distros yeah. out of Kubernetes. You know, we yeah. like making distros out of things, whether it's Linux <laughs> or, uh, or Kubernetes. Um, and, you know, they're both open source projects yeah. and Canonical makes all its money very transparently doing support and, yep. and whatnot. Yeah. And so I'm very lucky in that I have a team who can contribute upstream. And we're able to build features on top of Kates, whether that's like, hey, MicroKates, add on this. And again, it's in that kind of um, purview of making life easier, a bit like AI. You know, we're trying to make life easier. So I've run the team for about a year and a half now, and we're here at KubeCon, you know, celebrating those successes and bringing lots of cool hardware to show off. And yeah, it's a really fun time for us. What's So the, so just to get back to MicroKates, which I'm a huge fan of, mm -hmm. I'm a huge fan right. of, of a lot of these micro distributions and things like that. What was the intended purpose of MicroKates? I mean, I feel like... You know, it was meant for people that want to experiment, want to, you know, maybe new to new to Kubernetes, uh, but really want to like kind of dig in, you know, so so but, but but from your perspective, what is the, 
Yeah, so I think that's a really good question because you know when I first joined, I was like, oh, microcades is sort of a thing you do on your laptop. Yeah. But we've we've sort of reimagined it to be more of an enterprise and developer product. Like it's a spectrum, oh. right? It's elastic. You can have it on your machine or you can scale it all the way up. And I think what's nice about that is that microcades really looks to originally looked to fit in the gaps of like IoT edge, and that's that's kind of where the marketing used to be. But now it's sort of like you know it's that elastic case wherever you need it. And I think that one of the things that makes it so powerful is because it runs as a snap. You know, snaps auto update. Mm -hmm. So I always give the example of someone saying like, "Hey, let's say we find a, an issue, a CVE in the controller runtime. The snap automatically can update upstream. We push that down, and it doesn't even need to restart." So I think microcades is finding its niche and being kind of a lightweight case that scales up and down. That's that's pretty. I mean, what about in terms of like, do you do you think that things like K3s and 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 some of those other ones, do you think they're they're filling that similar niche, or do you think they all have their own kind of? Yeah, so I'm a, I'm a big fan of Darren Shepard and, and yeah. team. You know, like, I think K3s is really cool. And what was so amazing is their, their their market adoption and how they got traction early on. Right, it's like a yeah. simple one line installer. Yeah, that's great. But it you know it, it didn't do upgrades. Yeah. It didn't, and it came with a very opinionated set of like CNI and CSI. It's kind of um, a bit of a choose your own adventure, and that's awesome. And I think that's really powerful. I think for microcades, we wanted to set the bar a bit lower, so not necessarily somebody who was you know pretty well versed in Kubernetes. So I do think they all fill their own niche, and it's not like a, a one or the other. Yeah, yeah. And we all have customers who are like, yeah, we use some K3s for that, we use some microcades for that, we use some cloud provider for that, yeah, yeah. and that's fine with me because I think, don't think you always need to be first place, right? Yeah, yeah. You just need to be something that's sort of loved by the community, and that's actually what I drive for. Yeah, and I really think it depends on like what what your scenario is. Like to me, I'm always doing demos in in, in where I work, so mm -hmm. so I want to be able to spin up a similar environment repeatable. So I tend to use K0S because I can create a YAML file right. that has all the parameters I need, it installs all the applications, it does everything I need and it will just spin it right up. Yeah. But but that's because that's my 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 need at that time. Then mm -hmm. some of the other ones didn't do that. But I absolutely use microcates. I absolutely use K3S. I absolutely but I use the right thing for for what it is that I'm doing at that time. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. and, and I think, you know, where microcates shines is where you use Ubuntu as well, right? Yeah, like yeah. Naturally, because yeah. that's its home. Yeah. And so, it, you know, when you're using Ubuntu, that's where we've worked with our silicon partners to make sure that all the right hardware acceleration is there. So, if you want to do GPU operator stuff, you can do that with our Nvidia yeah. drivers and all that. So, yeah, it, it, absolutely to your point, like there is no prescriptive one Kubernetes is best. Yes, yeah. And I'm a huge Ubuntu fan. So uh, that's what that's what I run on all my laptops. So that was the right answer. Yeah. <laughs> well, it is. I mean, I, you know, it's been around for a long time. I've, you know, there's always this thing of like, you know, I've I've been using Linux since like, you know, Linus created 1.0, or I think I've been oh, wow. using it since then. So, um, you know, you could either create like a Gen 2 type distro, yeah. or or you know, or or go the the Red Hat way, or or do. But I'm very, I've I'm strongly in the Debian camp. Okay. So so I like to have Debian specific. Yeah. You know. How do you feel about system D? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know I get what you're saying. You know, that's just where that's just where I know where the file paths are, yeah. I know what it's set up, I know how it's, you know, and I feel like it's the most standard and, and open, you know, for a Debian based distribution. Well, I'm not sure how common knowledge this is, but you know, we did a survey a few years ago and I think like Ubuntu is used on sixty five to sixty eight percent of Kubernetes installations, yeah, which is be. crazy. I mean, even before I worked Canonical, I always did the old from Ubuntu, you know. <laughs> yep. I think it's nice to be sort of a household name like, like that, but you know, I think there comes sort of like a, a curve where eventually, at the beginning, you start out all these different distros, like, great. Yeah. But eventually, when you have to go to meetings, plug things in, like printers and peripherals, <laughs> you need a laptop that just shuts down when you close it. 
you come back and like yeah <laughs> old faithful ubuntu's there yeah or 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 even the the dialects of it like mint and things like that yes, that you yes. know are based off of ubuntu yeah which know? are great those some of those spins are really nice to work yeah, with as yeah well. because as a desktop environment they they really uh, some of those really do shine well Absolutely. you know and they actually allow people to get into ubuntu a little bit or not even ubuntu and get into linux a little bit easier yeah and you <laughs> benefit from all the cool things like the package management and the upstream yep. of ubuntu universe but you could have a kde you know environment right yeah, yeah. that's okay and i think yeah, that's yeah. the nice thing about linux and i think that's why the linux foundation the cncf reflect the community because we're all different right we yep. all like our own little yeah. our own little quirks so that's gnome utils or whatever right yeah yeah and it's and it's funny because i have different types of setups for for the purpose of what I'm doing. Like I was a security engineer for many, many years. Right. So I would have a very minimal environment with all the tools I needed nice. and that would be it. And that would be that environment. But like on my desktop and if I, you know, in a dev environment, I want a lot more stuff. I mm -hmm. want it to be graphical. I mm -hmm. want it to be, I want to have my command line a certain way. I want to, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, it's yeah, you, there's, it's it's not even like one person, one flavor. It's, it's you might have a different flavor for different things. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, I, back to the, the, con the comparison with Kubernetes, there's yeah. a similar there's a similarity there like yeah. you know I, I think um Brianka was showing in the in the keynote this morning using kind and setting up kubernetes with with that project yeah i think it's very much situational yeah um and you know one of the things that i, I think is really cool is as developer laptops become more powerful we have the ability now to do things that are pretty crazy if you compare five years ago yes. right running kates on your own on your own computer is a pretty magic place to be yeah. it won't be long till that's ai and kates too right you yeah, know yeah. getting on that trajectory <laughs> Yeah, I, I think it's, you know, we, we live in a great world where, where all this technology is coming together. One of the things I do always come back to, though, is, is uh, sorry, my watch was doing a funny thing, no uh, uh, is, is that, is there too much? You know, you know, with, with the, especially in the, in, the, in the landscape we have here, is there too much? Is it too overwhelming? Is there too much that we're, you know, kind of putting out there is for, for people that are just getting into it, you know, is it too overwhelming at this point? It's a really good question, but I think what the CNCF has done a good job of is using Kubernetes as the substrate for many yeah. projects, right? Yeah, yeah. And as much as we say Kubernetes every single day, it's true that it is becoming kind of ubiquitous with the foundation of cloud native, right? So whether you're building Prometheus, you would yeah. install it on Kate. So whether you're doing something, you know, so I think that's helping, but it, you know, there it's overwhelming, I think, if you're unguided to just say, okay, where do I start first? Is it now Spring Boot? Or do I go with, <laughs> you know, any number of languages? Do I, you know, it, it, it's sort of a choose your own adventure, but I think our, our our responsibility as a community is to spend significant energy in making sure that the next generation of engineers have a gilded path and at least an explanation of these different doors they can choose, right? Because there's going to be an overwhelming and ever-increasing amount. So it's our responsibility when we run build and build projects to say, look, this is what this solves. This is how you can get involved and this is how you might use it. It'd be great if there was like a standard template that goes over that. Like this, right. this, this, this is what it does. This is what you know, and and maybe that's something the CNCF should come out with. I mean, they've done such a great job at like creating the landscape, yeah. and you know, I use the landscape all the time. You know, because I'm always interested, and there's like something popping up every month. Yeah. So so I'm you know I'm always interested in what's out there and and what's coming up and and all those things. So they've you know I give them a lot of credit. This is a big thing to wrangle, and Absolutely. and they do a pretty good job at it. Yeah. So last year I started co-founded with some colleagues the Open Feature Project, which is in Sandbox yeah. in the CNCF. 
And you know that whole experience was really educational for me because I'd never taken a project through that that um, set of set of requirements. And it, it's really nice to see that the CNCF care about what you're doing, right? So the TSC have to approve your project. There's a whole set of due diligence, and what that ends up with is that we have a landscape that's is high quality, right? They're constantly going through graduated and inc and incubating and sandbox projects and making sure they are uh, they pass the bar. The documentation's good. They have a good healthy set of contributors because this is ever more becoming the heartbeat of technology, right? And I know that. Whilst the cloud native community is relatively small compared to the whole tech community, it certainly is a direction I think a lot of people are seeing as the future. Yeah, no, absolutely, I agree, and and that's what's so exciting about coming to these conferences is that not only seeing the tech that's that's here, but also running into people like you and just running people in 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 the hallway, and you start talking to have a conversation, and you start thinking about things that you might not have even thought about before, and it's just great to have that kind of exchange. Oh, for sure, you know. <laughs> so I I actually bumped into a guy earlier on called Ryan Perry who started a, a project called Pyroscope. It went open source, got bought by Grafana, and now we're you know we're pals, and it's sort of a flame graph based kind of thing of observability. Yeah, yeah. But what's super interesting is you know he was really keen on like how do I get into tag observability? How do I how do I contribute? And then I introduced him to the tech lead, I introduced him to the co-chair, and the co-chair of tag observability is now on the TOC. So there's a really nice little web of friends you can build, and you you come back to these events, and this is not a humble brag or anything, but like yeah. I try to walk to the lunch queue, yeah. I'm intercepted by ten people yeah. as I go, right? And that's nice, and and it's and, you know and that's why people come back. Because because they have, you know, everybody starts to know each other and, yeah. you know, everybody's really receptive to that. Yeah. So, so, so I find that really, 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 really nice. So we have a, a, a few minutes left. What is it that you're, you're excited about? You know, obviously GPT is here, but, but, but what are you excited about? Like when you come to KuCon, what, what is it that you're, you're maybe you haven't seen before and now, now you've seen something or you talk to somebody and there's something new. Yeah. What is it that you're, that's that's on your radar? So there's two things. One is a people thing. That is, I'm excited about getting the chance to meet the TOC and the CNCF staff yeah, because yeah. they show the passion through and through at these events. You know, meeting people Absolutely. like, you know, you, know, the, you know, meeting people like Chris, li listening to the keynotes from Priyanka, <laughs> it, it invigorates me because I feel like it's a foundation that really cares and it yeah. has a visible face. And I like that those faces are different, right? And yeah, there's yeah. people with lots of different viewpoints. That's yeah. what I love. Absolutely. And from a technology perspective, I'm just so excited to see some of, I mean, some of the adoption from companies like Mercedes-Benz, you know, real real big powerhouse of German industrial engineering is now showcasing some of the stuff they're doing in Kubernetes, right? Yeah. And being a part of that equation is even more exciting. So, you know, I think that seeing the uh, confirmation is the second thing I love of, of people using the technology and not all being hypothetical. Yeah. Well, I think that's, you know, interestingly enough, I think, you know, even in the last year because of VC drying out and things like that, you had so many companies for tech for tech's sake that really didn't have a lot of business value and those you're right. seeing that aren't really viable. And now you're seeing what, what, what I think is a lot more viable, you know, kind of um, solutions that really do something that's of value. Yeah, and I think the, the barometer <laughs> that VCs are putting out for seed and Series A funding is a little bit more... Uh, rigorous, right? Yeah. So they're looking for that co-founder. They're looking for that story. They're looking for that potential to go to market a little bit earlier because the days with the money tap were yeah. on have been, have like... been turned off a bit now, yeah. right? But uh, but I think that responsible equity and responsible lending is, is really important because yeah. that helps founders to get a grounding on what they're building and to also tap into commercial uh, outcomes earlier on. Yeah, yeah. So, well, thank you for coming. Where, where can people find you if, if they want to? Oh, well, yeah. I'll, I will be uh, at the Canonical booth, P15, in the nice. main hall. Uh, and aside from that, please grab me because I like those distractions. I love to have a conversation with everybody. Yeah, and, and on Twitter. And, and yeah, I'm, I'm Alex Jones AX, um, <laughs> a distinction there. But yes, uh, and I'm also, uh, you know, uh, active in the CNCF under tag app delivery. 
Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on. This has thank been so amazing. Much. Thank you. <laughs>